Welcome to this Summer Sabbath Sunday here at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Danny. And I'm Connie. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Our first lesson is from Philippians. We are just starting our journey in Philippians. We are in chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. Philippians 1, 21 through 30, listen. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Jesus Christ when I come to you again. Only... Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in the one spirit, striving side by side with the one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For God has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, now we are at our second reading. That is from the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew 20, 1 through 16. Listen again with fresh ears. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went, about, when he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon, and then about three, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more but each of them also received the usual daily wage. 
And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do with what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a man dies and goes to heaven. Of course, St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates. St. Peter says, here's how it works. You need a hundred points to make it into heaven. You tell me the good things you've done, and I give you a certain amount of points for each item, depending on how good it was. When you reach a hundred points, you're in. Okay, the man says, I was married to the same woman for 50 years and never cheated on her, even in my heart. That is wonderful, says St. Peter. That's worth three points. Three points? He continues, well, I attended church all my life and supported its ministry with my tithe and service. Terrific, says St. Peter. That's certainly worth a point. One point? Okay, well, I started a soup kitchen in my city and worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. Fantastic. That's good for two points. He says, two? The man cries, at this rate, the only way to get into heaven is by the grace of God. St. Peter smiled and said, there's your hundred points. Come on in. So today is about grace. Today is about thinking about how we are welcomed into the kingdom of God, both in this life and the next. Is it through the work that we do? Is it through the relationships that we have? How is it that we earn our way or can we not? So let's take a look at our passage. We're in Matthew 20, and so we're at the very tail end of Jesus's earthly ministry In chapter 21, the next verse in Matthew is what we call the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday. So Jesus is finishing up here, telling his disciples, he'll teach them some more throughout Holy Week, but this is the last unencumbered, open and free time that Jesus is with his disciples outside of Jerusalem and is finishing up with some important learnings, and this is one of them. So right before this verse, what causes Jesus to tell this parable? Well, right before this, at the end of chapter 19, Jesus is proclaiming against wealth and those who would worship wealth over him or God. And says it is impossible for a rich person to, easier to enter through the eye of a needle 
than it is for the rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And all the disciples say, what? Well, wait a minute, how's that possible? And then Peter, because again, it's Peter, and Peter asks another question, which seemed to be a core of our last several sermons. Peter is no different this week. And says to Jesus, look, we've lost everything and followed you. What then will we have? Well, if you're supposed to give everything away and not be wealthy, they're still thinking about earthly rewards, these disciples. They don't quite yet understand the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And Jesus is trying to teach them. But here again, Peter says, look, we've left everything for you. We're, at the, we're in year three. And we've given up our families, our work, our reputations to come and follow you and your remarkable claims. What's in it for us? Peter says, certainly we'll be wealthy, won't we? And then Jesus responds, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother, children or fields for my sake will receive a hundredfold and internal and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first, which is how our passage today ends also. So then Jesus goes on to tell this parable. And we know the story. Vicki talked about it. It's one we've heard before. There's a business that's being run. There's a vineyard. Vineyard puts out grapes, puts out wine. That's what they're there to do. That's how they make money. That's how they are able to employ and the way that this particular vineyard operated was that every day they would go to the day labor lot and hire those who would come in and work for the day. At the end of the day, they settle up. All wages are taken care of at that time. So this particular day, the landowner goes and gets the first round. He says, first thing early in the morning, let's call it 6 a.m. doesn't say that, but the next wave is at 9, so let's say 6 so they started early, maybe even before the sunrise. Landowner looks around, I guess, and says, hey, let's, let's get some more. Goes back at nine o'clock. I'll pay it, day wage, still full day left. Gonna get his money or her money's worth. Let's bring him. Then the landowner goes back at 12, at three, and at five. Five times throughout the day, this landowner goes back and forth to the day labor lot. Now, maybe you and I would think, well, up until noon, maybe, we, get, we can justify a full day, even though noon on would be half a day. But why does this landowner keep going back and forth? And especially at five o'clock when the day is over at six, what in the world sense does that make? How are you going to pay somebody for one hour the same wage that somebody who has worked literally 12 hours from six to six, the same wage? How's that fair? How do you earn a living? That is poor business. And that's exactly right. But Jesus's purpose is different. The interpretation of this, I believe, hinges on the first sentence. For the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus doesn't say, 
for starting a small business, do thus. Jesus doesn't say, for Fortune 500 companies, employ this paradigm. It's a completely different understanding than we know and we are used to. And we would clearly say, it's not fair. 12 hours of work versus one and gets the same cost. Why wouldn't we just wait till the last hour of every day and wait for God to come on in? Well, because this is a parable, again, this isn't the seven effective habits of an effective business. This is about the kingdom of God. At the end, the landowner, God, brings up the idea of generosity. Why are you so mad at me? Did I do you wrong? Did you not get what I promised you? And they say, no, but, but how is this fair? Or are you just mad because I'm so generous with what I have? And one of Vicky's questions is right. Does that seem so generous if you've been working for 11 hours? Somebody comes in, does an hour and they're done and they get the same wage? Does it seem so generous to you if you're one of those workers? But again, this isn't about a business. It's not saying you should pay all your employees, especially those that come in for the last hour of the day. It's about the kingdom of heaven on earth now and the kingdom to come. It is about God's generosity. Why? Because the big picture is it's not about the product of the vineyard. It's not about how many grapes are produced. It's not about how much delicious, yummy God wine is produced from this vineyard. It is about how many workers God can invite to the field to work. We are the workers, friends. We are the laborers who God comes in the midst of our despair and calls us in to discipleship and life. And then we are brought like those day workers to the field to work as a disciple for Jesus Christ. And again, unlike businesses, it's not about how much is produced in the way of the product to sell. It is about how many people God can get to the field and we can get to the field. God keeps going back and forth all day. The landowner keeps going back and forth all day. Why? To get more workers, to get more workers. Because the more people the, the owner can get to the work is the more people who get to work. In this case, who get to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Our God is a generous God and doesn't give up on us. When you shift from product to people, you see the generosity of God and you see God's economy working on this vineyard. God wants as many people to come in as many ways, with as many backgrounds, with as many good and poor decisions, from as many contexts, from as much brokenness and healing, from as much joy and as much sorrow as God can bring. So God keeps going back, keeps going back, keeps going back, keeps going back because our God is a generous God. If we look at this as a life of faith, we can say, well, why, why don't we just wait till the end? What's in it for us who are working now? Well, think about that. 
You get the benefit of work, which means discipleship now. You get the benefit of a fellowship of workers who are called together to work for the landowner, for God. Someone that comes at the end might miss that. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But a part of this can be jealousy too. We often look at others Say, that's not fair. They got this and I didn't. I worked twice as hard and they seem just to skate through life. How come they're rich and a bad person and I'm not and I'm a fantastic person? When we judge others and we cry unfair, as one commentator says, we miss the irony of calling our fellow laborers undeserving because we live under the illusion that we deserve all of the privileges that we have, and it's from our direct product and not in partnership with God. And from a place of privilege, which is first place, it is impossible to see the way God arranges the world. No wonder the first shall be last. It appears to be the best position to see the true generosity of God from the last place, because that's where generosity is appreciated and needed and sought. Well, wait. I was baptized as an infant. My first word as a child was bow, as in rainbow. And that was painted on the wall in the Sunday school classroom of my earliest memory. And I've been in ever since as a Christian. I should definitely be paid the full amount in God's kingdom. Well, what about the youth whose family never went to church but came with a friend, started to learn and grow, and came to faith? They came later in their journey. Should they be denied? What about the college student whose family never talked about faith or who openly denied the existence of God? but was invited to a campus fellowship group who then learned and grew and came to faith. They came even later, should they be denied? What about the self-motivated young adult who is mainly concerned with finding the right job, finding a spouse, starting to make money, but was invited to church by someone they are dating, then learns, grows, and comes to faith? Should they be denied? What about the married couple that is moving from a smaller apartment to a bigger apartment or a house? They're trying to find meaning, friendship with others, climb that ladder, and faith was always somewhere down the list. Until they started attending the young couple's gatherings at church, they learned, they grew, they came to faith. Should they be denied because they came later? What about adults with young children? They are striving to keep their head above water, figuring out how to raise those blessed little ones and each other. Diapers, feeding, filling the time with productive playing, relationships and learning. Sunday is one of the few days to sleep in. But then they volunteer at a shelter and they get to know some people from a local church and they decide to attend one Sunday. The children love the Sunday school, and together they come to faith. Should they be denied? What about those of us in our 40s and 50s 
climbing that ladder, seeking for continued meaning, questioning from time to time, job, relationships, acquiring and accumulated for our families and a certain quality of life. Then they were talked in to going on one of those crazy mission trips through a friend and that friend's church. That trip changed their lives. They came to faith. Should they be denied? What about those who experienced broken homes as children, whose young lives were permanently scarred by chemical addiction, brokenness, even abuse? Perhaps one or both parents walked out, leaving them alone. Perhaps a cycle was repeated, possibly even leading to criminal behavior and jail time. But then in jail, someone like Neil Richardson, prison chaplain from Safe House Ministries, or some other Christian shares their faith. And this person that was once lost is now found in God's kingdom, and they see that life can be and should be more and better and more meaningful and shared. They learn and grow and come to faith should they be denied. Those in their 60s and 70s who have intentionally spent their lives avoiding faith, they are concerned with retirement, what the next phase of their lives will look like. Bodies are beginning to slow and break down, worried about their family, their now growing extended family, their friends, and continuing to seek meaning. Then they go to a memorial service of a friend at a church they had never been to. The congregation and pastor didn't seem too awful and strange, and they were preaching about God's love and God's grace. So they go back for a Sunday service to hear more. They learn, they grow, and they come to faith. Should they be denied? Those in their 80s and above who have spent their lives making fun of Christians, those foolish believers, Now their bodily health and cognitive function now becoming major issues. They spend much of their time attending memorial services of friends and family they have outlasted. They search for meaning but fear they will never find it at this late stage of their journey. A spouse dies. Treatment is needed. Some help with food is needed. Transportation is needed. Loneliness is real and constant. And the church family of a friend gives love, care, and support to them. These new relationships make them less lonely and depressed, and instead they become grateful, inspired, and at least they know they're not alone. They learn, they grow, and come to faith. Should they be denied? Well, okay, preacher, if that's the way of it, I'm going to work it a little bit. If I can wait until the end of my life, I'll just spend my life remaining self-centered, power-hungry, materialistic, living for me and no one else until I begin to die. Then I'll have time to actually read the Bible, and at that point, I will care because I do not nap. I'll study for that big final exam in the sky and hopefully pass when I pass. That's a win-win right there. Okay, friend, there's a few flaws in your logic here. First, God knows your heart and what confession, surrender, and faith truly are. 
God knows your heart. You can't con and you can't fool God. We try most of our lives, all of us. What if you need help in the language of faith that you have never spoken or don't understand what you think you need to understand? At this point, there's no time left to explore, ask questions, or think through it enough, and a sad reality is reached. That's the first flaw. Secondly, let's say that you honestly and openly really do come to faith and choose Christ at the end. You make that decision, you confess, you affirm Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you are honest, truthful, and you do surrender. Then the problem becomes, what has been lost that cannot be regained? A life spent living in a self-centered way is a shallow life of destruction, struggle, broken relationships, and is often empty, no matter how much money one makes. And you never know when your day will come. You might not have the opportunity to prepare for that big final exam in the sky. Let's say you do have the time. Let's say you're in hospice, you're being treated for disease, but it doesn't look good for you. You finally have time to read or listen to the Bible. And for all its complexities, you finally understand its simple truths that God is real, that God loves you, that Christ was sent for, sacrificed for, and rose for you and for everyone on this earth, and that God through the Holy Spirit has been with you all the way through. And you didn't know it or you didn't care. What a tragedy only then to realize what life was really about. What a tragedy, only then, to realize that you missed most of your journey with God's love, presence, hope, joy, challenge, and grace. What a tragedy, only then, to realize that you have not passed on this newly discovered faith, insight, and gifts to your family and friends whom you claim to love. Yes, you can plan for and wait for a deathbed confession. God knows your heart, but what a tragedy it would be to do so. What horrible loss and regret. Frowny face. No, friends, now is the time for us to respond to the invitation to the vineyard. Now is the time to work for the landowner who crafted us from nothing into special, valuable, gift-filled human lives to go work in that vineyard. Now is the time to work, not just get paid at the end of the day, but because the work now is amazing. The fellowship now of the workers is amazing. Now is the time to work because that landowner is with us through each moment of every day and is constantly and urgently trying to get more workers to the field for their benefit and for ours. And that becomes our job as well. Now is the time not only to accept the work on God's vineyard, but to fill up this field with workers. Now is the the time. There is unfairness in this parable. You're right. Those who came last and worked the least were paid the full amount for the full day of work. But none of us 
deserve the life or have earned the life that we've been given through Jesus Christ. None of us can earn the payment of forgiveness, love, joy, grace, and eternal life in God's kingdom, secured for us through Christ's sacrifice on the cross and his blessed resurrection to new life. God is not fair, and for that we celebrate. We deserve to pay the price for our selfishness and sin to which we are addicted. That seems to destroy us. We don't have to pay that even though we should. And others should know this as well. No, God is not fair. And beloved friends, this is the good news. Hallelujah. Amen.